here's what we're going to do. Tonight, <clears throat> we're going to be covering the book of Acts, and we've got a lot to cover, and so I'm just going to kind of briefly tell you where we're heading and let you watch two videos. So the reason I say two videos, uh, it's the Bible Project videos that we use every, every time that we introduce a new book, except they have divided it into two segments, okay? So we're going to watch both of them tonight. They're about eight minutes apiece, and so we're going to need all the time we can get, but... I wanted you to see the big picture of Acts before we start talking about it uh, here tonight. So let's watch both of these videos, and, uh, and then we'll come back and do some talking. Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction, where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the Messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people, and then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. This video is just going to focus on the first half of the book. So the Jerusalem focus section begins with Jesus' followers waiting until the Feast of Pentecost when all of these Jewish pilgrims from all over the ancient world were in the city. And the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples as a great wind and something like flames appear over each person's head and together they start announcing and telling stories of God's mighty deeds. And they're speaking in all of these languages that they didn't know before but all the people gathered there understand perfectly. 
Now, in order to see what Luke's emphasizing in this story, it's crucial to see the Old Testament roots of all of these images. So first, the wind and the fire is a direct allusion to the stories about God's glorious fiery presence filling the tabernacle and the temple. And it's also connected to the prophetic promises that God would come and live by his spirit in the new temple of the messianic kingdom. And so here in Acts, God's fiery presence comes to dwell not in a building, but in his people. Luke is saying that the new temple promised by the prophets is Jesus's new covenant family, the people of Jesus, which connects to the second thing Luke is trying to say here. So the prophets promised that when God came to dwell in his new temple, he would reunify all the tribes of Israel under the messianic king and that the good news of God's reign would go out and be announced to the nations. Luke describes in detail the international multi-tribe makeup of all of the Israelites who were there at Pentecost and who responded to Peter's message. And so the apostles keep calling Israelites to acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah and thousands upon thousands respond forming new communities of generosity and worship and celebration. But not everybody's celebrating. From here, Luke shows how Jesus' new family quickly faced hostility from the Jerusalem leaders. With a really beautiful symmetrical design, Luke tells a tale of two temples. So God's new temple, the community of Jesus' followers, they're gathering every day in the temple courts and from house to house. Now, in between those notices are two stories about Peter and the other apostles healing people in the temple courts, only to get arrested by the temple leaders, followed each time by a speech of Peter claiming that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And at the center of all this is a story about Jesus' followers donating property and possessions to a common fund to help the poor which is really cool, but it seems kind of random for Luke to mention it here, until you realize that this was a practice described in the laws of the Torah and was supposed to be happening through the Jerusalem temple and its leaders. So Luke's point here is clear. The new temple of Jesus' community is fulfilling the purpose that God always intended for the Jerusalem temple, to be a place where heaven and earth meet, where people encounter God's generosity and healing presence. And this conflict between the two temples, it culminates in Acts chapter 6 and 7. It's the first wave of persecution. So Jesus' followers, they continue to multiply, requiring more leaders. And one of these, Stephen, he's a bold witness for Jesus in Jerusalem. And he ends up getting arrested and he's accused of speaking against and even threatening the temple. And so Stephen here gives a long speech showing how Israel's leaders have always rejected the messengers God sent them, including Jesus and now his disciples. So the Jerusalem leaders are enraged. They murder Stephen and they launch a wave of persecution against Jesus' followers that drives most of them from the city. But it has a paradoxical effect. Luke shows how this tragedy actually became the means by which Jesus' people are now sent out into Judea and Samaria. Now in this section, Luke has collected a diverse group of stories that all show how the mostly Jewish, Jerusalem-based community of Jesus became a multi-ethnic international movement. So first is the mission of Philip into Samaria. It's the land of Israel's hated enemies and many of them come to follow Jesus. Next, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, later known as Paul. He was the sworn enemy and persecutor of Jesus' followers until he personally met the risen Jesus, and he then became a passionate advocate on behalf of Jesus. 
Next is the story of Peter having a vision about how God doesn't consider non-Jewish people ritually impure or unworthy of joining Jesus' family. And so Peter, he's led by the Spirit into the house of a Roman soldier, just full of non-Jewish people, and they all respond to the good news about Jesus. In fact, the Spirit shows up powerfully upon them just as he did to the Jewish disciples back in chapter 2. These themes all come together in the founding of the church in Antioch, the largest, most cosmopolitan city in that part of the Roman Empire. And Luke, he tells us that Barnabas, a Jewish leader from the Jerusalem church, went along with Paul to help lead this church community. And so it became the first large multi-ethnic church in history. It was where Jesus' followers were called Christians for the first time. And it's from here that the first international missionaries were sent out. And so we see Jesus' commission coming true, and this takes us into the rest of Luke's story. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Acts. The book of Acts. In the first video, we watched Luke open the book by showing us how the risen Jesus was exalted as the king of the world. He promised to send the Holy Spirit as his own personal presence to empower his followers to go out into the world and bear witness to the good news about his kingdom until he would return one day. And so the movement began in Jerusalem as the Spirit came and formed Jesus' followers into the new temple promised by the scriptural prophets. But this generated conflict with the leaders of Jerusalem, and so it led to the persecution of the Christians. But the Spirit transformed it into good. It actually became the means by which the originally Jewish Jesus communities were pushed outside Jerusalem to become a multi-ethnic international movement. And the flagship church of this diverse Jesus movement was in Antioch, the largest city in that part of the Roman Empire. So we left the story with Barnabas and Paul serving in the Antioch church, and the Spirit prompts the church to send them on a missionary journey, which opens up a whole new section of the book. The story is about Paul and his co-workers traveling to different cities around the Roman Empire, announcing the good news that Jesus is king. The first mission is into the interior of what's called Asia Minor, found in modern Turkey, and it ends with an important meeting of the apostles back in Jerusalem. The second mission is through Asia Minor and then into ancient Greece. And then the third mission is through that same territory again, and it concludes with Paul's journey all the way back to Jerusalem. Now, in recounting all these stories, Luke has highlighted a number of important themes by repeating them. So first is the continued mission to Israel. Whenever Paul enters a new city, he always goes first to the Jewish synagogue to share about the risen King Jesus and how he's forming a new multi-ethnic family of God. Now, most often, lots of people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but some oppose Paul. Sometimes they even throw him out of town as a dangerous rebel who opposes the Torah and Jewish tradition. And this tension culminates after the first journey, leading to an important council in Jerusalem. So Paul discovers that there are some Jewish Christians in Antioch, and they're claiming that unless non-Jewish people become Jewish by practicing circumcision, the Sabbath, obeying the kosher food laws, that they can't become part of Jesus' family. But Paul and Barnabas, they radically disagree. And so they take the debate to a leadership council in Jerusalem. Now there, Peter, Paul, and James, the brother of Jesus, they all show from the scriptures and from their experience that God's plan was always to include the nations within his covenant people. 
So they write a letter requiring non-Jewish Christians to stop participating in pagan temple sacrifices, but they don't require them to adopt an ethnically Jewish identity or obey the laws in the Torah. Now, this decision was groundbreaking for the history of the Jesus movement. Jesus, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he's also the risen king of all nations. And so one's membership among his people is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of the Torah. It's based simply on trusting Jesus and then following his teachings. And it's this multi-ethnic reality of the Jesus movement that leads us to the next theme Luke wants us to see in the missionary journeys, namely the clash of cultures between the early Christians and the Greek and Roman world. Luke records multiple clashes in Philippi, Athens, and Ephesus. Paul goes and announces Jesus as the revelation of the one true God and as the king of the world, who shows up all other gods and idols as powerless and futile. And his message is consistently viewed as subversive to the Roman way of life, and he gets accused of being a dangerous social revolutionary. These stories show how the multi-ethnic, monotheistic Jesus communities did not fit into any cultural boxes known to the Roman people. The ancient world had just never seen anything like them. And the Christians aroused more than just suspicion. Another theme Luke repeats is how Paul and the Christians are constantly being accused of rebellion, even treason against Caesar, the Roman emperor. People heard Paul correctly. He was announcing that there's another king, Jesus. And they also correctly saw that the Christian way of life was a challenge to many Roman cultural values. But every time Paul gets arrested and interrogated before Roman officials, they don't see any threat and he's dismissed. These stories show us the paradox that the early church presented to the world. It was a Jewish messianic movement, but it was ethnically diverse, full of communities that treated men and women and rich and poor and slave and free all as equals. And they all gave their allegiance to King Jesus alone and no other God or king. And so their very existence, it turned upside down the core values of Roman culture, but the Christians posed no military threat because Jesus taught them to be people of peace. And so the only crime Paul and the Christians can be accused of is not conforming to the status quo. The book's final section returns the focus to Paul's witness spreading from Jerusalem to Rome. His final missionary journey ends back in Jerusalem, where his controversial reputation precedes him. He gets attacked by Jewish people who think that he's betrayed Israel, which attracts the attention of Roman soldiers who think Paul's a terrorist from Egypt starting a rebellion. And so he gets arrested. From here, Paul is put on trial, first before the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, but then before a series of Roman leaders in Caesarea. There's Governor Felix, who puts Paul off for the next governor, Festus, who eventually brings Paul before King Agrippa. He ends up in prison for years, even though at each trial the charges never stick to him, because all he's doing is announcing that his hope in the resurrection has been fulfilled in King Jesus. This is hardly a crime, but at this point the Roman legal machine can't just turn him away, and so Paul ends up appealing to Rome's highest court. Now, you would think that all this prison time would be a setback for Paul because his heartbeat is to be on the road starting new Jesus communities. But the Spirit orchestrates everything for good in this book. And so the imprisonment gives Paul time to have his most important apostolic letters written. And these become the way that his missionary legacy is carried on long after he dies. 
Eventually, Paul was transferred as a prisoner to Rome, and after a terrifying near-death voyage across the Mediterranean, Paul ends up in house arrest in Rome, awaiting his delayed trial. And so he's able to host, in quite a nice house, regular meetings that reach Jews and Gentiles. And the book's final words are about how Paul is announcing the kingdom of God and boldly teaching all about the Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, totally unhindered, all happening right under Caesar's nose in Rome. The unified work of Luke-Acts, it does so much more than give us a history of Jesus and the early church. He's showing how the kingdom of God came on earth as in heaven through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, through the coming of his spirit to empower the church to bear witness from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And as Luke has told the story, he's given us scores of examples of what faithfulness to King Jesus looks like. It looks like sharing the good news of the risen King Jesus in word and in action. It means forming diverse Jesus communities where people of all kinds come together, where they're treated equally and give allegiance to King Jesus and live by his teachings. And all of this is done by trusting in the power and the guidance of the Spirit to lead the way forward. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. Okay, so what I want you to do is take that blank piece of paper, (laughs) draw it all out. If you can get half of it, uh, we'll be very impressed. I know that's like drinking from a water hose. That's not what I want you to do with the paper. Uh, Let me just go ahead and tell you about that real quickly just so you can join us in what we're doing tonight. Uh, Basically, I just want you to take one half of that sheet of paper and just take notes as you as as things impress you, as you hear things, one side you can just take notes. But I want you to reserve the other side for something we're going to draw. We're not going to draw that, uh, but something that any of us, all of us can draw. So reserve one side uh, for something we're going to draw later on. I, I thought about, you know, making this, this great PowerPoint. I thought about bringing my big board and drawing it up here. But I thought, you know what, lots of times we remember more when we draw it rather than just when we sit and watch somebody else talk about it. And so hang on to your paper. Of course, you can do this in your notebook. Some of you bring notebooks, and you don't need that blank sheet of paper if you've got a notebook, but just wanted you to have it. Anybody still need a blank sheet of paper? And where are they? Do we have any left? All right, raise your hand. Lisa's got some. All right, Kayla needs one. Kayla, when are you going home? Or are you home? I should, when are you going to Boston? Tuesday morning. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So I've got a clock down here. I don't know if y'all were here Wednesday nights, by the way, we're doing this great study called the time of your life. And, and I was talking about my watch as we began that study and the second hand and all of that uh, on Wednesday night. It's an Andy Stanley study. We're going to do it again this, this Wednesday night. I encourage you to be here for that. But I was talking about my watch and how that second hand, just you can watch your life go by. And I went home that night and my watch stopped. Kind of scared me a little bit. My time's up, apparently. All right, so... Just take notes as you see fit, and then when we get to the point where I need you to draw something, I'll explain that to you. 
It's interesting how the Gospels end. Have you ever read all of the Gospels and just noticed how they end? The Gospels end with the raising of Jesus from the dead. And that ending marks the beginning of Christianity. The raising of Jesus from the dead marks the beginning of Christianity. And what you find out is that the disciples began to go share that message. They began to proclaim that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. And the Bible explains that many in Jerusalem believed that message, that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. In fact, not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people in Jerusalem heard and responded and believed the message that Jesus is the risen Lord. And a vital community of believers was born. We would call it the church. And the book of Acts traces the early expansion of Christianity from its Jewish roots in Jerusalem all the way through the, to the Roman Empire. The, the spread of faith from Jerusalem to the Roman Empire. So what I want to do tonight is talk to you about the importance of this book we call Acts. And I'm going to give you six statements. If you want to take notes on these six statements, and then again at the end we'll draw some things, that or towards the end we'll draw some things on the other side of the paper should we get that far. So, just the importance of the book. Uh, folks, it's hard to overstate the importance of the book of Acts. I want to say that again. I want to make sure you, get, you hear this. It is hard to overstate the importance of the book of Acts for all of us. Let me give you six reasons why. Number one, Acts is the only book in the Bible that tells us how the early church was born. Write that down. I'll give you time. Acts is the only book in the Bible that tells us how the early church was born. I want you to, to imagine for a moment that we did not have the book of Acts in our Bible. And so if we were to somehow just able to take out that book, remove that book from our Bible, we'd have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then what would be the next book? Romans. And so let's just pretend for a moment that that's the way it is. We don't have Acts. And so we're reading Matthew, and we're reading Mark, and we're reading Luke, and we're reading John. We're reading all about Jesus. We're reading all about the 12 apostles in those four Gospels. And after reading those four Gospels, we would come to the letter called Romans. Now, in fact, I want you to turn to that letter right now, Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And this skip down to verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if we did not have the book of Acts, those opening verses in Romans would raise a lot of questions. Question number one, who is Paul? If you just had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you couldn't answer that question. It starts out, Paul, a servant of Jesus of Christ Jesus. We'd say, who's Paul? And you know, another question we'd be asking, what happened to Jesus? Now, we would know in the Gospels he was resurrected, but after the resurrection, what happened to Jesus? Where did he go? Where is he living? Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't, answer, we wouldn't be able to answer that question. Question number three, 
What happened to the 12 apostles? We read about them all through the book of uh, the Marks or, or the Gospels. And then when we read these other letters, Romans and, and, and on, we don't read that much about the apostles. So what happened to them? <clears throat> Here's another one. Look at the text again. Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. We would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's only 12 apostles. How, how is this man an apostle? Now, and then we would have this big question. Verse 7, to all who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints. question might be this. How did the gospel get to Rome? I mean, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in Jerusalem. How in the world did it get 2,000 miles away? And oh, by the way, what's a church? The church at, in, in Rome, what, what's... Or you read 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth would have all these questions. What, what is the church? Where did that come from? You see, all those answers we get from the book of Acts. Acts is like a bridge between the Gospels and the letters of Paul, and, and, or the rest of the New Testament letters. Acts is the bridge that helps us understand how we got from the Gospels to the, to the rest of the New Testament letters. Now, number two, and I'm trying to be very conscious of my time because I'm trying to get to that place where we're going to draw some tonight and, and write in some things. <clears throat> number two, the book of Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Now, most of you probably know that, but I want you to see it in the Scripture. I want you to get a, a feel for this. I want you to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Many, this is Luke writing. He says, many have undertaken to draw up the account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Translation, there's a lot of people who have written a story about Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Verse 3, therefore... Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account, watch this, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so Luke is saying, listen, I have researched the story of Jesus, I've researched the life of Jesus, and it just seemed like I need to be very careful and write out this, this investigated account of the life of Jesus. But he tells us that he's actually writing it for an individual, a man named Theophilus. His name, Theophilus, means one who loves God. We don't know exactly who he was. Uh, it, it is supposed that he was perhaps a Roman official or perhaps just a person of high position and wealth, but he's called the most excellent Theophilus, and so probably a man of influence and power. Now, now you get that, you understand that, but now run quickly to Acts chapter 1. I want you to see how this book opens. Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, so he's writing to the same person that the Gospel of Luke is written to. The author is the same. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I've got that marked in my Bible. What Jesus began to do and teach. My former book, 
The Gospel of Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. That's kind of a summary of the Gospels. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke on the, uh, about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them and he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days... You, this is a key verse in the book. In a few days, you will be baptized with what, church? Don't, don't forget that. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They, they asked the resurrected Lord. Remember that. Lord, are you at this time going to restore? I mean, you've come back from the dead. Well, what's your agenda here? Are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set for his own authority. But now watch this, verse 8. This is so important. But you, speaking to the, the apostles, but you, will be, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now watch this. He says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus did. Well, all that he, he spoke and all that he taught and all that, that he began to do. In this book, Theophilus, I'm writing something similar. In this book, I'm writing about what he began to do through his people. Ah. The Gospels is all that Jesus began to teach and to do. Acts is what Jesus began to do and teach through his people, watch this, by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I wish we could take a little more time there, but for sake of time, we need to, uh, I don't want to rush, but I want to make sure we get this. Which brings me to number three, point number three. Acts introduces us to the vital role of the Holy Spirit. Acts introduces us to the vital role of the Holy Spirit. This is interesting to me when I, when I did the study and thought about it. Just like the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to equip him at the beginning of his ministry. Matthew 3.16 is one example. That at his, at his baptism, as he was beginning his ministry, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to equip and empower him to do his ministry. In the same way, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles to empower, to empower and equip them to do their ministry. It's exactly what Jesus said would happen. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he was speaking from experience. Uh, just like the Holy Spirit came and anointed him for ministry at his baptism. As the apostles were beginning their ministry, the Holy Spirit came and anointed them as well. I think that's pretty incredible that Jesus called these apostles and he counseled them and he commissioned them, but they still needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they were called to do. So, what you're going to find in the book of Acts, this, this is a very important point if, to understand Acts. What you're going to find in the book of Acts is that Luke stresses throughout the book the Holy Spirit's work and his enabling power. 
Let me show you this in the text. You might want to write these verses down. How Luke stresses all through the book the Holy Spirit's work and his enabling power. Uh, For example, chapter 2, verse 4. It says that when they were on the day of Pentecost, uh, and and they were together and all that, verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit did what? Enabled them. Now, in other tongues here means in foreign languages. They began to speak the gospel in foreign languages. Why? Listen, because God wants the gospel to go to the far ends of the earth. And so from the very beginning, God enabled these people. When they received the Holy Spirit, He was enabling them to speak languages they had never learned. And I, oh, I wish He would do that again. Because there's some languages I like to speak, and I don't know them, and I get frustrated. Uh, Spanish is one of them. We've got wonderful Spanish people in our church, and they try to talk to me, and I, I just make a fool of myself. All I know how to say is, see, and uh, sin queso, no cheese, <laughs> uh, muy bien. Muy bien. They come, they, every Sunday, they come and they talk to me, and my response is, muy bien. Just hoping to God I'm saying the right thing. <laughs> but I love those people, and I want to be able to talk to them more. And so here, in the, in the first pages of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is coming to enable God's people to take the gospel to the far corners of the world. He's enabling them to speak languages they've never learned. So that's just one reference of the Holy Spirit enabling. Let me show you a few more before we go on. Chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8, Peter and John are appearing before the Sanhedrin. And then Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's underlined in my Bible. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And then he preaches this message. But it... Luke emphasizes he didn't speak on his own accord. He didn't speak his own words. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, uh, they had been threatened by the Sanhedrin. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, throughout the book, you'll see this over and over and over. This enabling, this empowering that comes through the Holy Spirit. Look in chapter 6 of Acts, chapter 6. Verse 3, when they were choosing the first deacons, they didn't say, who do you think are the most popular guys that that should serve? When they were choosing the first deacons, they didn't say, who do you think are the guys who had a servant's heart? When they were choosing the first deacons, here was the qualification. Chapter 6, verse 3, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be what? Full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them isn't that interesting hey you know the one qualification we're really looking for guys uh, we, we want you to choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit because what God is doing cannot be dependent on us we must be dependent on him full of the spirit and, and then it says verse 5 the proposal pleased the whole group they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, One more reference, chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 55. This is the story of the stoning of Stephen. 
And it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. Throughout the book, and this is just a sampling, just a sampling, but throughout the book, you'll see again and again and again this reference, this continual reference to the Holy Spirit enabling God's people to do God's work, to accomplish God's mission. Here's the reason that's important. Listen carefully. The church did not start, nor did it grow, by its own power and enthusiasm. The disciples were empowered by God's Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the one that Jesus promised them would come. The Holy Spirit's work demonstrated that Christianity was supernatural. Thus the church became Holy Spirit conscious when they faced problems. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to enable them, to empower them. And you see that all through the book of Acts. Number four. Again, just describing the book to you and the importance of the book. Number four. Acts has two natural divisions that are often used to explain the book. Acts has two natural divisions that are often used to help you understand the book. First of all, Acts has frequently been divided on the basis of Luke's interest in Peter and Paul. That's what the the video was doing. The video was breaking down. If you looked at the big picture, they were breaking down uh, the book of Acts between Acts chapters 1 through 12 and Acts chapters 13 through 28. That was the big division in the video that you saw. Because here's what you find in in those two divisions. Peter is the main person presenting the gospel in chapters 1 through 12. Now, I chose that word carefully. Peter is the main person presenting the gospel in chapters 1 through 12. Paul is the main person carrying the gospel in chapters 13 through 28. He's carrying the gospel to the other, to other countries, to other nations. So, so you, what you have is Peter primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in Jerusalem, Peter carrying, or pre- presenting the gospel, preaching, Chapters 1 through 12, chapters 13 through 28, Paul carrying the gospel to the ends of the, of the world. That's one way to divide the book, one way to understand what the book is all about. Uh, and oh, by the way, I don't have... Let me tell you real quickly. It's, it's, a, it's rather strange how quickly the apostles fade from the story. You would think that the apostles are all through the Bible, but really they're not. Now, occasionally you'll find a name. Occasionally you'll see them. Now, they are mentioned in the first part of Acts. I understand that. Acts chapter 1 and following. They are mentioned the first few chapters of the book of Acts, but they quickly kind of fade away in the story. I mean, these are the apostles. But you need to understand that they played a vital, pivotal role but the, the gospel is about more than, than one group of people. The gospel is about what he's going to do to take the, uh, take the good news to the entire world. And, and God uses all kinds of people for that task. And, and so, um, so we, if we're going to divide the book, one way we do it is, is talking about Peter, chapters 1 through 12, Paul, chapters 13 through 28. Let me, and then another way to divide the book that you're very aware of, I'm sure, it's divided geographically. Uh, explaining the expansion of the gospel, divided geographically, explaining the expansion of the gospel. You know, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about 
taking the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And if you look at the book, it really is divided in those categories. Chapters 1 through 7 talks about taking the gospel to Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 10 talks about taking the gospel to Judea and Samaria. And chapters 11 through 28 talks about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. All right? Number five, the 30 years covered by the book are important years of transition. When you look at the book of Acts, when you read chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28, you're reading about a period of about 30 years. A 30-year period of transition, but a vital period of transition. You see, the gospel was preached first only to the Jews. And the first church was composed primarily of Jewish believers. And more and more Gentiles began to be included. The church eventually became distinct from Judaism. The church initially was viewed as a sect of Judaism. Initially, when people looked at the church, when they looked at Christians, they just viewed them as a sect, a division, if you will, of Judaism. But the good news of of salvation uh, continued to be spread, and eventually it became more Gentile than Jewish, which is very interesting. Uh, We don't have the time to read this, but let me just give you this as a highlight. You can uh, write down the notes. Acts chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius and Peter how the gospel was taken intentionally uh, to, to Cornelius. Acts chapter 13 and 14, the story of Paul and Barnabas, missionary journeys taking the gospel to the Gentile world. And Acts chapter 15 is the story of the Jerusalem Council where it was decided, what really do you need to do to be a Christian? Do you have to be Jewish first in order to be a, a, a Christian? And what you find out in the book of Acts is that the good news of God's salvation is for Jew and Gentile alike. All right, I ran through that so I could have these last 10 minutes and focus on this last segment. And so here's where I'm going to ask you to draw something. But first of all, let me give you number six. You can write this down on your notes. Number six is this. Acts focuses on the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. This is the heart of the book of Acts. If you don't get anything else tonight, get this. If you slept through the first five things, I hope that you'll wake up and get this last one. Acts focuses on the movement of the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome. You see, the key to really understanding Acts is to recognize this movement that you see in the book. And it's narrated basically in six parts or six panels. So here's what I want you to do. On that blank side of your paper, turn it to that blank side, and, and turn it uh, this way. Is that horizontal? Landscape, thank you. Turn it landscape. All right? I want you to, I want you to draw, don't draw it yet. Let me explain what I want you to draw before you get started. I want you to draw six panels, or six boxes. All right? Leave enough room to write some things in the boxes. So you just want to make them, you know, big enough so that you can maybe one, two, three, and then one, two, three, you know, however you want to do it. But draw six boxes, six panels. You can do six all the way across the page if you want. Uh, But however you want to draw it, draw out six panels and leave room to write some things. 
All right. Your box is good and square and lines are straight and all that. Here's what I want you to do. And this is the reason I didn't put it on the screen or draw, draw it on the board. I want you to draw it. I want you to remember it. And I think you'll remember it better if you draw it out and, and write it out. Uh, in, the, in the last eight minutes, we're going to have to move quick. In the last eight minutes, we're going to draw out the book of Acts. Okay? Each of those panels that you have there in front of you is a segment in the story of how the gospel moves from Jerusalem to Rome. And it's interesting, at the end of each panel, or at the end of each story, is a summary statement in the book of Acts. For example, look in chapter 6, verse 7, real quick. I'll just give you one example. Chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What you're going to see is at the end of every story, at the end of every panel, there's this kind of a summary statement. So let's work through real quickly. First panel, at the very top of the first panel, however you want to write it, whether you do it above the box, inside the box, doesn't matter to me. First panel, write down this reference. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts 1, 1 through Acts 6, 7. Here's a summary statement to write inside that box, somewhere inside that box. The story of the spread of the good news about Jesus in Jerusalem, underline, in Jerusalem by the apostles. So the first five, six chapters really is the story of the spread of the good news about Jesus in Jerusalem by the apostles. And then we have that summary statement at the end, chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem, if you're looking in the text, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the first panel tells the story of the spread of the good news about Jesus in Jerusalem by the apostles. Panel number 2, chapter 6, verse 8, to chapter 9, verse 31. This marks, if you want to write this in your box, this marks the first geographical expansion to the neighboring Judea and Samaria. Underline geographical expansion. This, under, this is the first geographical expansion to the neighboring Judea and Samaria. That, that is chapter 6, verse 8, to chapter 9, verse 31. That's the second panel. Now, if, you want, if you've got room in your box, you might want to note that the Hellenist, H-E-L-L-E-N-I-S-T-S, the Hellenist, which are Greek-speaking uh, Jewish Christians, play a major role in taking this gospel to the Gentile nations. And you also might want to write in that box, Stephen plays an important role, uh, Stephen's death plays an important role in pushing the people out of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. That's the second panel. And then we read the summary statement, and you write this on the bottom of your box, the summary statement, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. 
Then the church, where, I hope you're reading with me. You may not have time, but look on the text. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout where? Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. So in the first summary statement we read earlier, it talked about the church in Jerusalem. Now we're reading about the church in Judea, Samaria, uh, or Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And notice it was strengthened and encouraged by who? By the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. Luke is telling us this church is expanding into new ge geographical areas, and it's not just the work of man, it is the work of God. Panel number three. Panel number three. Chapter 9, verse 32, to chapter 12, verse 24. Chapter 9, verse 32, to chapter 12, verse 24. And in your little box, write this statement, the first expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. A Gentile is simply someone who is not a Jew. So here we see the first expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. And in parentheses, you might want to write the name Cornelius. Cornelius. Also, in this same panel, you might want to put an additional note, additional note a key figure, the Apostle Paul, was converted during this time. That sets the stage for the next panel. So, on the bottom of your panel, if you would write this summary statement, Acts chapter 12, verse 24, it simply says, but the Word of God continued to increase and spread. Panel number four, we're about to get there, is chapter 12, verse 25, through verse, chapter 16, verse 5. 12.25 through 16.5. And in your box, write this down. The first geographical expansion into the Gentile world. The first geographical expansion into the Gentile world. And write down underneath that, Paul is now the lead character in the narrative. Paul is now the one taking the gospel to the people, the Gentiles around the world. And then the summary statement that you write at the bottom is chapter 16, verse 5. Because in 16.5 it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Each time Luke is telling a story, he always ends with a summary statement. And there's six of these stories, or six of these panels, in the story of the book of Acts. Alright, so we'll go to a panel, a fifth panel, panel number five, chapter 16, verse 6. All the way to chapter 19, verse 20. 16.6 to 19.20. Write this in the box. It marks the jump of, of the gospel from Asia to Europe. The gospel goes from Asia, Asia to Europe. When you come to the end of that story or that panel, the summary statement is in Acts chapter 19, verse 20. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The, the, the word of the Lord spread widely. Now it is in different countries, taking the gospel all the way to Europe. It spread widely and in great power. And then the last or the sixth panel, 
chapter 19, verse 21, 2830. 1921 to 2830. And then in that box, you write down a description of the events that moved Paul and the gospel on to Rome. A description of the events that moved Paul and the gospel on to Rome. In chapter 19, verse 21, the first verse of that sixth panel, it says, After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. And then he said, After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So Paul, in this sixth and final panel, the very first verse of that sixth and final panel, Paul is declaring his intention of taking the gospel to Rome. And here's what we read. At the very end, in chapter 28, we've run out of time. Chapter 28, Paul is in Rome, in prison there. He's taken the gospel uh, to the Gentiles in the Roman palace. Now listen to me, I'm going to close with this. All of this forward movement of the gospel did not happen because of human design. It happened because God willed it and the Holy Spirit enabled it. To understand Acts, you have to stand, understand two foundational facts. Look up here at my Bible. If you're going to understand the book of Acts, you have to understand two foundational facts. One is the Gentile mission. That the mission of God is to carry the good news to the Gentiles of the world. The Gentile mission. Starting with the Jews, yes, but taking the gospel to the Gentiles. You cannot understand the book of Acts without understanding the Gentile mission. That's why we see this movement of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And the second thing that you have to understand if you're going to understand the book of Acts, not just the Gentile mission, but secondly, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. I know I've said that several times tonight, but you cannot understand this book called Acts without understanding that all through the book, God continues to enable His people to do the mission He's called them to do. Oh, by the way, the mission hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit is still moving in His people. To carry the mission to the nations of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here tonight.